Welcome, everyone, to the In-House Roundhouse, where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts gather around to discuss current events and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Henriquez, a commercial litigator with Womble by Dickinson. With me, as always, is my producer, Brian Ewing. Our guest today is Nancy Giordano. Nancy's a highly regarded futurist and founder of Play Big, Inc., a strategic inspiration company focused on building a safe, inclusive, and vibrant future. In her work, Nancy's helped dozens of enterprise organizations and business leaders understand and plan around the cultural and technological shift shaping our world. I'm very excited to announce that Nancy's going to deliver our keynote address for Womble Von Dickinson's Everything from Everywhere Summit. That's January 29th. You can register by going to our website, WombleBondDickinson.com, if you haven't already gotten an email invitation. It's going to be a great summit, and Nancy's going to kick it off. This podcast is going to bring you just a little taste of some of the things Nancy's going to be talking to us about. Nancy, we're excited to have you with us. I am, too. It'll be such a fun way to kick off 2021. I agree. Time to turn a page and look to the future. And so that's why we're bringing you on board. I know you've done a lot of writing and speaking around the changes that we're seeing from a technological standpoint, AI, automation, and what's happening there. Tell us a little bit about your, you know, what you're currently talking about and and a flavor of how technology is, is changing the way we work and live. Well, you know, it's like we can talk a lot about the technological shifts and there, there are fascinating to understand how AI will transform Everything, you know, from medicine to retail to, to manufacturing to law to every single thing that we do will have an impact in our world. And then for the next few years, it will accelerate and we'll become much more savvy around data and all the analytics and the strategic side of it. But there's really a, a really human side to this that we probably don't spend enough time thinking about. So I've actually shifted a bit more to understanding how do we build it safely? How do we build it responsibly? How do we understand how it will transform teams inside organizations and change the way that we work, not just from a process perspective, but also from a a human and sort of emotional perspective, because that's a big part of it will either accelerate the adoption of it or blunt the adoption of it if we don't do that well. So uh, that's one piece of it. Uh, but I'm also spent a lot of time thinking then about the kind of mindset that we bring to the future. And so I've just finished a book that will be out mid-February in which we talk a lot about shifting from this mindset of leadership, which was static and hierarchical and closed and very intentionally designed to meet 20th century demands and thinking about it as a verb, leadering which is dynamic and inclusive and caring and really is designed to be able to support continuous innovation and experimentation for long-term sustainable value. It really shifts the way that we think about the role that business and, and leadership plays as we move into an exponential future with much more potent technology. Now, that's great. And I know a lot of our listeners are, are leading their own legal departments and in-house teams. Can you give us a preview of maybe some of the, the lessons from that book as they try to shift from being leaders to doing that leadering? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you know, it's, a, it's uh, there's, a, I mean, part of it, 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 they sound soft, but they're really, really, uh, to me, critical. And we talk about wonder, right? Really incentivizing curiosity, how important curiosity is in this and wanting to learn more and building a culture of learning versus a culture of efficiency. And how does that look? And, you know, certainly when we talk about uh, law firms and, and traditional types of work, we don't often prioritize learning or curiosity. But it's not just an individual thing. It's not like, hey, everyone needs to, you know, go pick up a book. It's about also incentivizing it very thoughtfully inside our organization. Because often we say we want people to be curious, but then we incentivize the exact opposite in terms of when people want to take time or something or they want to go to a conference or whatever it is. Like we figure out a way to, to thwart that curiosity. So really, and then it's not even uh, all that. We're also finding in the technological future organizations that are built to be able to instantaneously um, get learning. Uh, we'll talk about you know, booking.com as a website. Uh, you know, they allow everyone inside the organization to go in and play with a small portion of the 
the audience that comes to it. So you've got 100 or 200 people that you can test a feature with really instantly and within two hours know whether or not that feature is um, accelerating or not accelerating uh, people's time on the site and um, to make that decision very quickly. So it's really is the ability, uh, the ability to sense and respond much more effectively. So curiosity becomes a part of that experimentation and being able to create room for that, being able to collaborate and build ecosystems of support and learning are a big portion of that. Um, and even the interpersonal connection that I keep talking about is that, again, we think that if we spend time, you know, connecting with our teammates in whatever way before a meeting or in other venues, but that, that it's, it's unproductive, right? It's inefficient. We're wasting time. And what we've found is all the research shows over and over and over again, if you invest that time connecting one-to-one -one with people and build that sense of trust and psychological safety, you're actually able to accelerate productivity so much faster. So it's that kind of mindset that just shifts what we think is the productive and, and the efficient way to do things and actually make it much more humanistic um, and much more creative in order to be able to support that. And I will say, actually, what's really interesting for your audience, I think, is what, at the end of the day, it really comes down to how we assess risk. And one of my arguments is that everything that we have built to contain risk and to keep us safe in the 20th century now makes us vulnerable in the 21st. So that's the kind of thinking that we need to completely shift. That's the big mindset shift that needs to happen. So like silos, right? Silos and centralization were considered really the thing to be able to contain us and make sure that we stayed safe. And then we made sure that everything was running. Um, like a good well-oiled factory should run. And in fact, as we're moving into a world in which we need cross-learning and we need data that goes across silos and departments and we need to be able to collaborate much more effectively and we need to build ecosystems in order to be able to move forward with the way we need to, then that thinking is really, really outdated. So there's several of those kinds of things that we can point to. You know, we need to shift so that we stay safer, actually, by doing the thing that we think paradoxically is scary. Yeah, I think that's a great point because I think often as legal counsel, you see those silos pretty clearly. You see the divisions between sales and manufacturing and the accounting folks and the HR. Everyone's in their own little teams. And, you know, th there are some people, sometimes the legal counsel, that work across that. But I think that breaking down the silos, certainly not something traditionally thought of as a legal department role, but maybe an important part of the overall cohesiveness of the of the organization. I think that's a yeah, and I, I think that the being able to be that conduit to that is really critical. It's a really important role. One of the things that we'll discuss in the talk is really that the compass that I use to be able to navigate constant change and ambiguity, and it's really just two questions. What does the future need and expect of us? And then what are we each in a unique position to create and contribute to that? So if we know that the future needs and expects of us to figure out a way to break that stuff down and ensure that people feel as they can work more laterally with one another, more effectively with one another, and if that is the opportunity for a team like the legal team who does get this opportunity to work across business units and across silos to be the, I don't know if cheerleaders is the right word, but to be the example of how to do that effectively, like we can encourage that behavior more and more, uh, that's an opportunity that they can uniquely create and contribute to a fast-shifting future. Gotcha. I know, I know many feel like 2020 uh, has been a very disruptive year, and obviously the pandemic's changed a lot of things, including where many of us are working from. I, I know you've indicated that maybe we're only 1% through the uh, transformation that's coming. Talk a little about that and kind of give us a sense of the roller coaster ride ahead. Yeah, I mean, again, we'll discuss this in more detail in the talk, but it, you know, if you talk to the technologists and the uh, designers and the scientists and uh, those who are the entrepreneurs who are building the future, and you ask them how long we are, literally from Google to a 3D printing or uh, 3D manufacturer, they will say we're 1%. 
And that, again, was part of the pandemic. So you could argue maybe we're, you know, a percent or so in. But I would argue that we haven't actually innovated more during the pandemic. What we've done is accelerated adoption of the technologies that were already there. So what we're going to see is much more innovation coming out of this and just much more transformation. So uh, in the world of retail, we talk about that, you know, what we thought was going to be accomplished in the next 10 years has happened in 10 weeks. It is that kind of constriction of, of time and transformation that I think we're going to find more and more of across all industries moving ahead as these technologies continue to advance and converge and we start to see the use cases become more clear and we start to see, you know, innovators getting in and jumping out ahead and building, the, you know, the big, vast um, stores of data and being able to understand what to do with that data. So that's going to be the big advantage moving ahead. So there's a lot that we will see exponentially grow. And the whole idea of exponential is an idea that we never really fully understood, I think, until 2020. But now we understand how <laughs> things can grow exponentially and how quickly uh, that can uh, disrupt everything, right, or change everything. And so the thing, the good news, that can also happen on a positive level. Uh, but the fact is that technology will continue to do that. So again, what we think is just this one moment of disruption is actually the front end of a, a big wave of it. Gotcha. I know you've referred to yourself as a techno-optimist, and what, what, what is that, and, and why are you one? Well, you know, again, I really do believe that if we can harness technology, if you, the way I described it recently is that if you can take the advances in such potent exponential technology and marry them to a deep sense of caring for one another and for the planet, we can solve problems that have never been able to be solved before. We just saw protein folding that they thought was going to take, you know, many more decades to do that suddenly they've figured out a way to do, hopefully. Uh, using artificial intelligence. So I do think that we have the opportunity to solve tremendous problems and just build more efficient and more effective societies. And we'll, um, you know, New Year's Day, we've been talking about uh, this idea of regen villages, which is an idea that's come out of the Stanford School of uh, Flourishing, uh, the Human Flourishing Project out of Stanford. Uh, but there's a guy named James Ehrlich who's building, you know, communities that will have AI at the center of efficient energy, efficient food production, efficient waste, and being able to build much more green and much more healthy homes and build it inside the community. And so all of a sudden, the way he describes what is possible with a regen village, you're like, I want that. But that would not have been possible 20 years ago without the technology infrastructure. He described as building the OS for the ecosystem, like the Tesla of the ecosystem, of an eco-village. And so you start to imagine, like, what could world, the world look like? How do we can use technology to augment humans in ways that are not just about trying to fix deficits that currently exist in our hearing or in our eyesight or in our ability to walk or other things. But we could actually even, you know, make us even more superhuman as we move forward. So we're discussing that. So when I think about better human, better work, better life, uh, better AI, you know, building it safely, uh, there's a group of people in AI global that are building it where they, um, they're building a charter or building a, a certification process for safe and responsible use of artificial intelligence and machine learning, like that kind of stuff excites me. There's a way to do this that we can hold people well and, and accelerate all the opportunities and experiences that we have. So the thought of putting on VR goggles and being able to shop with my best friend in Paris, you know, from yeah. our homes, like that to me doesn't sound so awful. You know, yes, I'd like to be in Paris, but if I can't be there, wouldn't it be fun to be able to have a virtual trip like that? Uh, we're going to see all kinds of experiences that open up possibilities for us that weren't available before, and that excites me. That's terrific. I, I know your company is called Big Play. Could you share with us what, what, what does that mean, and, and how did you come up with that name? And it's actually play big, and it's so okay. funny. It's so many people reverse it, and I'm trying to figure out psychologically why. Um, <laughs> but it is interesting. It happens all the time. Um, but I, it really comes to this idea that uh, playing big is not about scale and growth. It's really about commitment, right? If we can commit all these 
resources that we have. We all have these, you know, whether it's individually or as a team or as an organization or as an industry, we have these resources, curiosities, equities, backgrounds, perspectives, and that if we can bring them to to bear in order to be able to solve a really significant problem for people, really think about how we hold people well in it, we have the opportunity to create extraordinary solutions, this idea of audacious uh, innovation and audacious purpose-driven businesses. And so for me, playing bigger is really playing from a sense of of caring commitment and collaboration to build much more uh, provocative and caring solutions moving forward. Terrific. Now, that, that sounds great. Um, anything else you want to share with folks that may be uh, getting ready to sign up for our talk in terms of things that, that you'll be touching on or, or reasons they should come? Well, I think we've done a pretty good job of getting through the, the key uh, aspects of it, but I really do think that what we we have, this, again, this once-in-a-generation opportunity to go and rebuild almost every single institution and industry moving forward. I really do believe that, which sounds really daunting and scary and awful, I think, to some people. But for those of us who can see the potential, it's really exciting. And I think that what we're really encouraging folks to do is not get so stuck in what will shift and change and why that's bad, but to try and open capacity to learn to navigate new terrain, right? If you're always stuck with a map, at some point the map is outdated and it doesn't get you into any new terrain. But if you learn to use a compass and you're able to again, sense and respond in real time more effectively. You've got a North Star that you know you're heading towards, and it's actually a really exciting time. And so for me, it's about setting up the vision of what is possible if we can shift our mindset to metering and to using uh, a compass. No, that sounds great. That sounds great. Well, I encourage everyone to come listen, sign up to the summit. There's no charge uh, free for everyone, and you can find out where your compass should be pointing and explore uh, the brave new future uh, that awaits. And I think we're all we're all hurling to her. So 2021 should be a great opportunity to do that. Again, you can register at our website, WombleBondDickinson.com. Our virtual summit will also include breakout discussions for a number of different industry sectors and topics uh, led by attorneys at Womblebond Dickinson, providing you some key insights uh, for those folks. We'll also have a panel of leading chief information officers that I will be moderating as we look at automation, artificial intelligence, and digitization in the world. So please go ahead and sign up now for that. Um, Nancy, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate the insights. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been the In-House Roundhouse. I'll see everyone at the next station. In-House Roundhouse is a production of Womblebond Dickinson. Brian Ewing is our producer, and Robert Daughtry is our audio engineer.